What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. started looking at Joseph's life. His family was a big part of his life, especially uh, his father, Jacob. And we noted that Jacob favored Joseph over the other sons. And uh, he showed that favoritism by giving Joseph a coat of many colors. And uh, this caused Joseph's brothers to get jealous. It caused them to hate Joseph. And that hatred ultimately got really bad. And to make matters worse, Joseph has two dreams. He dreams that his brothers and their parents uh, will bow down to him. And he shares these dreams with his family. And that made his brothers him even more, be more jealous of him, and that hatred grew to the point where they finally said, you know what, let's just kill him. Uh, they throw him into a pit and, you know, intending to kill him, and they decide, you know what, instead of killing him, let's make some money off of him, and uh, so we'll sell him as a slave to Egypt. And that's the last time we had anything recorded of Joseph's uh, brothers, his family. We've seen the life of Joseph in Egypt as a slave, uh, as a prisoner, and then rising into the ranks second in command of Pharaoh. But it's been about 20 years that has passed by since last seen Joseph's brothers as they sent him into slavery until this point, chapter 42 of Genesis. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 when he was made second man to Pharaoh. So we have 13 years, if you do your math there. And one of the reasons that Joseph was given this position to be second in command to Pharaoh, uh, because God gave him the interpretation of that dream uh, that Pharaoh had. And so um, seven years of plenty were going to be followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph advised that, hey, during this seven years of plenty, you need to save a good portion of the grain so that we food in the seven years of famine, and we ended chapter 41 with the seven years of plenty being gone, and so you have 13 years between 17 and 30 when Joseph was placed into that authority. Seven more years have now transpired, so now that's 20 years when you add all that together, and so as we come here to chapter 42, 20 years have gone by since Joseph has seen his brothers who have sold him into slavery, and the last thing we told in chapter 41 is this in verses 56 and 57. The famine was all over the face of the earth and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was so severe in all 
the lambs. And as we noted last time we were together, you know, this famine was so great, it wasn't just in Egypt, it, it, it impacted the entire world, and we're told that every country realizes, hey, there's grain to eat in Egypt, the only grain that there is now in the entire world, and so people are now coming to Egypt to buy grain so that they can survive this famine, and that news spreads to Canaan. It spreads to Joseph's father, Jacob, and now we're going to see what Jacob does with this news that, hey, we have no food, this famine is so severe, but we hear that there's grain in Egypt. We're going to come now to chapter 42, starting in verses 1 through 5. Notice what Jacob does. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy food for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So after Joseph or Jacob, sorry, hears about grain being in Egypt, he mentions it to his sons, these ten oldest that he has, and he sees something in them that when he mentions Egypt, all of a sudden there's something going on in them that he says, you know, hey, you know, what are you guys? Um, notice the the question he has. Why do you look at one another? So Egypt comes in, and all of a sudden, the, these brothers are, are looking at one another. And the reason that they're looking at one another is because of their guilt. You know, the, the mention of Egypt brings up the remembrance of 20 years ago, we sold our brother as a slave to Egypt, and all of a sudden, there's grain in Egypt, and Jacob's thinking, hey, there's grain in Egypt, we need to get some of that, or we're going to starve to death. And when he mentions this to the brothers, looking at one another. And he notices it. He doesn't know what's going on, but he's like, you know, why are you guys looking like this at one another? And then he goes on to tell him his plan of, you need to go to Egypt and you need to buy grain for us. But, you know, we're going to start now focusing on these sons. In this chapter, we're going to see some things about the 10 sons, the ones who are guilty of selling their brother into slavery because they were jealous of him. And we're going to see some important things about guilt and sin and, and what it does to your life and the proper way to deal with that. And we're also going to look at something that we see in Jacob. And really, he struggles so much in his life of trusting God personally and trusting God with his family. And we're going to still see him struggling with that, especially with his youngest son now, Benjamin. And he's struggling with allowing things to happen that God wants to do. And so we're going to learn some important things here about our guilt and our sin and just trusting the Lord. And, you know, remember that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And the reason he was Jacob's favorite son is because the wife that Jacob loved, Rachel, had two sons. Joseph was the firstborn, and then there was Benjamin. Well, now Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead. Remember, his sons told him a wild beast has eaten your son, and they brought the coat of many colors, and they, they brought it there dipped in blood, and then Jacob thinks that Joseph is now dead. And so now his favorite son is Benjamin. And I think it's important to note here that, you know, there's a need for grain, but yet he's not willing to send Benjamin. He, you know, everybody can have a sack. Everybody can carry grain back. This is a long journey. And so the more 
that go, the more grain that can be returned. But he says, you know, I'm only going to send 10 of you. I'm not sending Benjamin. Why? Lest some calamity happen to him. Last time I, I had something 20 years ago, Joseph was out. I sent him to find you guys, and he never came back alive. That's the mindset that Jacob has now. And he said, you know what? I'm not letting my second favorite son go. I'm not letting Benjamin go. So you 10 can go. <laughs> I don't really care if you guys come back alive, I guess is more of the mindset. But I surely care if Benjamin does. So Benjamin's staying behind. But you guys, you need to go and get some grain in Egypt. And I think it's important to note that the only reason that these sons are ever going to go to Egypt, I'm sure Egypt was a place they probably wanted to avoid partly because of the guilt and the reality of what they did to their brother, but it's also a really long journey. And so the only reason that these 10 brothers are going to head to Egypt is because of this famine. Now, a famine's not a good thing. Well, we don't like the reality that, you know, all these things aren't growing and we have no food, but yet notice that God is using this famine to take these brothers to Egypt. And God has a plan. He has a plan to bring reconciliation. He has a plan to bring repentance. He has a plan to do even more than that. But it starts with these brothers having to go to Egypt and ultimately to have an encounter with their brother, Joseph. So let's see what happens now. Little do they know, as they go to Egypt, they're going to meet their brother who they sold into slavery 20 years ago. Verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and he was, it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. So Joseph is in charge, he's second in command to Pharaoh, and now as they're distributing grain, he is the one in charge of all the distribution. So as people come from other countries to buy grain, they got to come through Joseph. He's got to give permission for them to receive this grain. And so Joseph's brothers come, they, they come to buy grain, but we're told they don't recognize Joseph as their brother. And you might well think, well, how do they not recognize Joseph as their brother? Well, let's keep some things in mind. First of all, it's been 20 years since they last saw him. Uh, Joseph is no longer dressed like a Hebrew shepherd, like they remember him. Now he's dressed in Egyptian royalty. Uh, and so that would have been a much different thing, the way in which they dressed, the way they wore their hair, all those things would have been very different. And even if they thought, you know what, this, this man selling us grain resembles our brother in a very detailed way, they would have never thought that that was their brother. I mean, they sold him in the slavery. They would have not thought that he's an Egyptian who's second in command to Pharaoh. They would have never even associated those two together. So even if they thought, man, he looks a lot like Joseph, they probably would have never concluded that that was the reality of it. And we're told in verse 23 that Joseph spoke to them through an interpreter. So they never heard him even speak Hebrew. They only hear him speak Egyptian, and then he's interpreted and so for all of those reasons you take into consideration, you can understand why the brothers wouldn't recognize Joseph as their brothers. Uh, but I want you to note what Joseph's brothers do when they come to buy grain. We're told that they bow down before him. They bow their faces to the ground before him. Now this is very interesting because remember, one of the things that made Joseph's brothers so angry with him was that dream. He had two of them. 
And both times he tells them about it. Hey, I dream this first dream that there's all these sheaves and my sheep's there and all your sheaves bow down to me. And they say, well, what is that supposed to mean? That we're ever going to bow down to you? And they say, hey, oh, I got another one. You know, all these stars bow down to me and the sun and moon bow down to me as well. And, and they're so angry because they realize you think this is going to happen. You think these dreams are going to come to pass that us older brothers are going to one day bow down to you, younger brother. It's never going to happen. You know what? When they plot Joseph's murder, when they see him and that intention to kill him comes, remember what they desired. Genesis 37, 19 and 20 says this. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. When they want to kill him, notice what they come back to. They call in the dreamer, and they said, once we kill him, we'll see what comes to his dreams. He's never gonna, we're never gonna bow down to our younger brother. And they're convinced that when we sell him away as a slave to Egypt, there's never gonna be a time that we ever have to bow down to him. It's interesting that Joseph's brothers thought that selling him as a slave would keep them or keep Joseph's dream from happening, but actually selling Joseph to Egypt is the means in which they provided the dream's capacity to come to pass. You know, God's plans and purposes are bigger than people. Even when people try to destroy those things, even when people try to stop what God is doing, ultimately, at the end of it all, what God wants to happen will happen. He's going to bring it to pass. Well, Joseph's brothers, they don't recognize Joseph. They bow down to Joseph, but Joseph recognizes each one of them. And Joseph chose not to reveal himself to his brothers. Instead, he acts as a stranger to them. I think it's very important to note here that the first time that the brothers come to see Joseph, they see him, but they don't recognize him. But the second time that they're going to come and see him, we're going to see that they do recognize him. Now, remember, we've been pointing out the fact that Joseph is a picture of Jesus, and we've been noting different areas in which Joseph is like Christ or is a picture of Christ. And I think this is an interesting one. Something fascinating about this chapter is that the seven years of famine here is an interesting picture correlation to the seven years of tribulation that's going to occur in the last days. What we see unfolding in the story between Joseph and his brothers is a very interesting picture of what we see between the Jews and Jesus. You know, we're told in Jeremiah 37 that in the seven-year tribulation, it's known for something that clarifies who the seven years is really for. Jeremiah 37 says this, Alas, for that, great, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So the seven years of tribulation, notice it's not the trouble of the world, it's Jacob's trouble. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, the father of the Jewish nation, so it's speaking of this is a time for trouble for the descendants of Jacob, for the Jews. Now when you read the great tribulation in Revelation, you discover there's one main purpose for this time, and that purpose is to bring the Jews from a place of unbelief to a place of belief. 
You see, right now, the majority of Jews do not believe that Jesus is their Messiah, but through that seven-year tribulation time, there's going to be many things that happen, but it's going to lead them to a place where they finally come to realize, wait a second, Jesus, the one we have rejected for all this time, actually is our Messiah, and they're finally going to accept him for who he is. So the Jews, for the most part, rejected Jesus' first coming, his first time that he was here because they didn't recognize him as their Messiah. Just like Joseph's brothers didn't recognize Joseph the first time they saw him. And one of the reasons that Joseph's brothers don't recognize him is Joseph doesn't look Jewish. Joseph doesn't look the way that his brothers thought he would look. But in the same way, the reason that the Jews didn't recognize Jesus the first time he came is because he didn't look like the Messiah they were waiting for. You see, Jesus came as a suffering servant. He came to be crucified. He came to give his life for the sins of the world. But that's not the kind of Messiah that they were waiting for. They were waiting for a ruler, a king, a general, a conqueror. They wanted someone to overthrow Rome. They wanted someone to make them the superpower of the world and the Messiah to rule and reign over all the world. That is what they were waiting for. And so Jesus didn't look like the Messiah they thought he would be. And so they missed him. Just like Joseph's brothers, you know, Joseph didn't look like what they would have assumed Joseph would have looked like, and they missed who he was. The Jews didn't recognize Jesus in his first coming, but the Bible tells us they will in his second coming. And Joseph doesn't get recognized the first time, but he's going to get recognized the second time by his brothers. And it's just another interesting picture that we see how Joseph is a picture of Christ. And so Joseph's brothers bowed to Joseph, and that's going to remind Joseph of something very important that perhaps he's forgotten. It's been 20 years, and there's been things that have happened 20 years ago that maybe he thought were a little preposterous. Maybe he thought, I don't know if this could ever happen. This seems exciting. This seems cool. I don't know what this means, but now all of a sudden he's going to see some of it come to fruition. It's going to remind him of his past dreams. Verse 9. Then Joseph remembered the dream which he had dreamed about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's son. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, No, but you have come to seek the nakedness of the land. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I it is as I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. So after Joseph's brothers bow to him, Joseph, we're told, remembers the dream. And perhaps he's forgotten about it. It has been a long time and nothing has happened in his life that he'd ever think they're going to bow to me except maybe the recent things of him rising in power. But even then, he's probably not even considering or thinking too much about that. And all of a sudden, his brothers come, 10 of them, and they bow before him. He recognizes them, and he remembers the dream. 
But remember now, the dream is not just 10 brothers bow to him. It's 11 brothers bow to him and mom and dad as well. And so he realizes this isn't the full dream coming to pass. This is just part of it. Yeah, we got 10 bowing, but the dream was that everyone would bow. And so he realizes something that this dream hasn't actually come to pass. He needs Benjamin to come. He needs his parents to come. And I agree with many commentators at this point that Joseph choosing not to reveal himself to his brothers and all the things that he's going to do after this is something that God directed him to do. He's not doing this out of spite. He's not doing this to get revenge. I mean, if he really wanted to get revenge, he had the power to kill them all. He could have done that right away. So, you know, we're going to see that he does things that the Lord is working through him to bring his brothers to a place of repentance and to bring his brothers and him to a place of reconciliation. And so God's kind of orchestrating this through Joseph. I believe God's the one who brought to remembrance the dream that he had. And we also see that Joseph is doing this in a way to test them. Because Joseph wants to see, are these guys different? Are they the same brothers that sold me into slavery 20 years ago? Or has anything changed in his, their lives? Or are they different at all? Has, has God been working in them like he's been working in me these past 20 years? And so some of what Joseph's going to do is going to be a test to reveal where these brothers are actually at. And so we're going to see the first test. The brothers, he says, you guys are spies. Oh, no, 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 we're not spies. Yes, you are. You're spies. No, no, no. We're, we're all brothers. We have one father. And actually, we have another brother that's back with our father. And there's one who's no more. Speaking of Joseph. Now, that's the lie that they said a long time ago. And it's still the lie that they're saying to this day. They have every reason to believe that Joseph's alive, that he's some slave somewhere in Egypt. But yet, just like they told dad, you know, this one's dead. We have one brother who died when they know that that's not really the truth. And at this point in time, Joseph could have inquired, oh, really? Tell me how that one brother's of yours is no more. You know, what happened to him? Because he doesn't know the story that they shared. He doesn't know the lie that they threw out there. But he doesn't go down that road. He doesn't ask that question. Instead, he tells them, all right, here's a test. You guys... Nine of you are going to stay in prison. One of you I'm going to release. He can go back, and you can get your younger brother. Bring him back here to me, and that will prove to me your story. That will prove to me that you're not lying. It will prove to me you're not spies. And so that's what we're going to do. And so Joseph then puts all of them in prison for three days. Now let's see what happens next, verse 18. Then Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. So they did so. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter, and he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. 
Before throwing his brothers into prison, Joseph says, only one of you guys is going to get to leave. You're going to travel back to your home. You're going to bring your brother back. After three days in prison, Joseph changes the, the, the test. He changes what he's going to do. He says, you know what? Only one of you has to stay in prison, and the rest of you can go back and then bring your brother back to me. And he most likely did this recognizing, you know what? There's family back there starving. And so I want these brothers to take food back to my dad and back to all the other family members that are there so that they can get food that they need, and I'll just keep one of them here with me. You know, things haven't gone the way Joseph's brothers planned, I'm sure, as they came to Egypt. They came with one purpose. We're here to buy grain. Bring it back home. All of a sudden, the man that's selling grain says, you're a bunch of spies. No, 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 we're not. Yeah, you are. You're all going to get thrown into prison. Okay, now, to prove it to me, everyone but one can go, but you got to bring Benjamin back, the one that dad wouldn't even let come on this trip. He's got to come back here in order to prove they're not spies. Now, notice the reason why these brothers think all these bad things are happening to them. You know, they come, you know, you would just think, man, we got bad luck. We come here, this guy doesn't like us, he thinks that we're spies. Notice the conclusion that they come to of why this is happening. They say, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, speaking of Joseph, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon them. Us, sorry. And then Reuben says to them, hey, did I not speak to you? saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Remember, Reuben's the oldest, and he had the plan that said, Hey, I'm going to go get Joseph out of the pit. I'm going to take him back to dad. I'm going to save him from the other brothers. And Reuben now tells us, Hey, remember I told you? Don't sin against the boy, and you wouldn't listen. You guys didn't listen to me. I told you not to do this. And now his blood is being required of us. So Joseph's brothers believe these bad things are happening because of what they did to Joseph. Now, that's not really the most logical conclusion that you would have of showing up and, you know, the, the Egyptian ruler is not willing to give you grain. He throws you in prison. He thinks you're spies. The first conclusion wouldn't be, oh, it's because of what we did to Joseph. But yet, I want you to notice that is where they go. Because 20 years, they're still wrestling with their guilt. Notice what they say. They remember the anguish of Joseph as he pleaded with them not to do this. This hasn't left them. 20 years they've been wrestling with their decision to sell their brother as a slave. 20 years they have had this guilt has been eating away at their life. This impression on their mind and their hearts of what Joseph went through and they didn't listen to him, they didn't care, they just sold him anyway. And the reason they can't escape this guilt is because they haven't properly dealt with their sin against Joseph. They haven't confessed their sin. They've never even been honest. It's still a secret. No one knows except them. They never told their dad. They, they lied. It's been something that they've held on to personally. And in that group of ten, they haven't sought to be forgiven, and it's been destroying their life. You know the reason for why they feel guilty? is because they are guilty. That's why they feel it. That's why you and I feel guilty. We feel guilty because we're sinful. We feel guilty because we're guilty of sin. And I think this is important to realize because our society does not want to accept this reality. 
Our society tries to cover up our feelings of guilt with excuses, thinking that that's what's ultimately going to get us past the guilt. We just got to make excuses for it so that we can get free from it, so that we can release it from our life. You know, you don't have to feel guilty that you've stolen or that you've lied or that maybe you've even done something far worse like murdered because ultimately it's not your fault. Your parents did a bad job raising you. Or you grew up with some hard circumstances. Or, or you know, you didn't get a good education and you were left in, in this bad circumstance. Or, or it was the drugs and the alcohol that you were taking. It's the, the fault of those things. And if you can just accept that it wasn't your fault, then you can release that guilt. Well, the problem is that people feel guilty because it is their fault. And until they deal with it properly, they're always going to have that guilt. You can't release it until you deal with it the way that God tells us to. And the solution to our guilt is not to make excuses. The solution is to confess it. To confess it to the Lord, to admit it, to repent of it, to confess to those that we've sinned against, to ask for forgiveness. That is the solution to how we deal with the guilt and the sin in our life. The first thing I want you to take note of for what we see from Joseph's brothers is unconfessed sin causes guilt which can cripple your life. I'm sure that you have realized in your own life, I know that I have as well, the longer you go without confessing your sin, the longer you go without dealing with it, the more guilt takes root in your life, the worse that guilt becomes. And imagine how bad the guilt would get after 20 years. Imagine how, how deep and difficult it would be because they have not dealt with it. They haven't talked about it. I'm sure even amongst themselves, even as Jacob brings up Egypt and they all look at each other, there was probably this silent, like, I don't even want to talk about what we did. That guilt has been eating away at them. And they can still see their brother's anguish. They're still tormented by what they did. But they haven't been properly willing to deal with their sin and guilt that is brought in its lives. Brothers have been speaking about the guilt in front of Joseph because they don't think he speaks Hebrew. Because he's been, as verse 23 says, but they did not know that Joseph understood them for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So Joseph's speaking Egyptian, the interpreter speaks Hebrew, and they're thinking, well, this guy doesn't know what we're saying. And so they just openly speak in Hebrew to one another right in front of him, and they're sharing their guilt, and they're sharing you know, what they did. And Reuben's saying, I said, I said, guys, you shouldn't do it. Now look all this that's been brought on our life. You know, This is something we never should have done. And Joseph's listening to this, knowing this is about him. And the emotions start to well up in him, and he has to, to go away, and he weeps because of all that's going on and what he's hearing his brothers say. But notice that even before Joseph's restored, he hasn't been restored to them. They don't even know who he is yet. He doesn't allow bitterness. He doesn't allow hatred towards them to really occupy. He still loves them. And we're told right after he weeps, he returns to them again. He speaks to them. Now this is, there's another side to this reality of guilt that I think is important to understand. Our guilt comes because of our sin. And we just said the way to deal with that is you've got to confess it first to the Lord. Repent of it. Confess to the person that you've sinned against. Repent to them. Seek their forgiveness. When we do that, we need to realize we can now release the guilt. When we've done it properly, 
when we've confessed it to the Lord, when we've repented of it, when we confess to that person, when we've sought forgiveness, it's at that point now that the guilt is something that we can now release because we, we've dealt with it the way that we should. Sadly, Joseph's brothers never do this. They never release the guilt for what they did. We're going to see soon in the next chapter that Joseph forgives them. And it's a wonderful reconciliation that we see between him and his brothers. But you know what? They never release the guilt. And we see this at the end of Jacob's life. When Jacob finally dies, the response of these ten brothers is now Joseph's going to get vengeance on us. Now Joseph's going to kill us. The only reason that Joseph hasn't done it yet is because of dad. He's been waiting to get to us because he didn't want dad to have to see it. But now that dad's dead, there's nothing keeping him. And now he's going to finally get his vengeance. Now he's going to finally get back at us for what we've done. And sadly, from the time that he, they're forgiven all the way for the many years until Jacob dies, they hold on to this guilt that they could have released because they truly were forgiven. But yet, they're not willing to release it. And this is something that I think is just important for us as Christians to recognize because too many times this is us. We come and we deal with our sin properly. We confess it to the Lord. We repent of it. We come to the people that we've sinned against. We confess to them. We repent. We ask for their forgiveness. We do what we're supposed to do. And yet, we sometimes don't believe that we deserve to be forgiven or we sometimes don't believe that someone could actually do that for the, the sin that we've committed and we just hold on to the guilt. We're not willing to release it. We're not willing to move on beyond it. And even though we've been forgiven by God, even though we've been forgiven by those people, we don't move on past the guilt. And the enemy, he loves that. He loves to come and he loves to say, you know what, I'm just going to bring condemnation to you. You're guilty. You're horrible. Look at what you've done. Look at the damage it's caused. Man, how dare you do that? And, and you, we just kind of come back to the guilt of everything that we've done and, and the consequences that it's brought to our lives and others. And he wants to bring that condemnation. He wants us to hold on to that guilt. He doesn't want us to release it. He doesn't want us to move beyond it. He doesn't want us to realize, no, I've been forgiven and I'm free to no longer hold this guilt in my life. And we got to realize that he's the condemner. He does that to bring us to that place where we'll hold on to the thing that God wants to release. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, this verse couldn't be more clear. When we come to God, every single time that we confess, no matter how big the sin, no matter how many times we've committed the sin, if we will confess it, God is faithful, He is just, to forgive us and to cleanse us. So you don't have to hold on to the guilt of your sins that you've confessed to God and others. You can release it because you have been forgiven. If we hold on to that guilt, it just continues to cripple our life. The second thing I want you to take note of that we see here from something that Joseph's brothers don't do is once you've confessed your sin to God and those you've sinned against, released your guilt. Leave it with the Lord. He died for it on the cross. He paid the penalty for it. So you don't have to keep living in that guilt. You don't have to keep dwelling in that. He wants you to be free from that because he's the one who paid the price for it. So Joseph's test was to keep one of them in prison, let the rest of them go home. 
bring the grain back to their families, and then bring their brother Benjamin to prove that they're not spies. And we see that Joseph decides to pick one. One of them has to stay in prison, and he picks Simeon. And we're not really sure why he picks Simeon. You go back to those who were the main culprits and the biggest voices for why Joseph should be killed. Simeon isn't listed in them. So, you know, he's not doing this of like, yeah, I remember you. You said I was going to die. Well, guess what? You're going to stay here in prison. Uh, so we don't know why. Some commentators think that possibly Simeon just volunteered. That, you know what? I'll stay back. I'll be the one who waits here in prison for my brothers to go and to return. So now before these test before they they leave, Joseph adds something to it. He adds another element to the test that they're unaware of just to see how they're going to respond. Verses 25 and 26 says this, then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them, so they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. So after Simeon is taken and placed into prison, you know, the brothers go to load up their grain to take home. And Joseph now gives a command. So this isn't some accident. This isn't something that just happens. This is something that was purposeful, something that he wanted to transpire. And he gives three different commands. First, fill their sacks with grain. Okay, well, that's fair enough. They paid for it. That's what we're going to give them. Second, restore every money, every man their money back in their sack. So the money that they paid for the grain, give it back to them. Put it back in their sack. And then third, give them provisions for the journey so that they have plenty of food and water and everything to get back home. Now, what Joseph does for his brothers here is definitely unexpected. You know, they're thinking, whoa, he thinks we're spies. You know, he threw us into prison. You know, he's keeping one of us here. They surely wouldn't have expected this kind of grace being given to them. They don't deserve it, but yet he gives it to them anyway. Joseph did this for his brothers before they were reconciled. They haven't repented. They haven't asked for forgiveness. He doesn't need to treat them this way. Most of us probably wouldn't, but yet he is gracious to them. He blesses them in a way that they definitely didn't deserve it. In the same way, Jesus gives us unexpected and undeserved blessings, and the greatest one took place before we ever even reconciled, trusted in him, and that is when he sacrificed himself for us on the cross. Well, now we're going to see how Joseph's brothers respond. He's given them this blessing here. Not only do you have grain, but you have the money that you spent and provision for your journey. Let's see how they respond when they find this out. Verse 27 and 28. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. Think how you might respond. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? So the brothers are now, nine of them traveling back home, all but Simeon and Benjamin and Joseph are are traveling, and they stop at an encampment. One's getting some feed to give to the donkey, opens up his grain sack, and he sees all this money. The money that was meant to go for the grain is in his sack. And I want you to notice the response of all the brothers when they see, wow, we got all this money. Now think how you might think. Hey, you know, I just went to the grocery store and I had a whole cart full of groceries and, you know, I came home and all the money that I spent for it's in my bag. Well, their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? 
You know, these brothers have been blessed. Joseph's blessed them. He's like, give them their money back, give them their provisions. But because of their guilt, they're not able to accept it, to see it for what it is. You know, first they thought that the bad response that Joseph gave of saying, you know what, you're spies, I don't believe you, you're here for the wrong reasons. They thought, well, surely this is a punishment for what we did to our brother. God is now punishing us for what we did 20 years ago. Now they're being blessed. Now they've received their money back and they've received these provisions and still the same response. Oh, this is God condemning us. This is God coming after us. Oh, it's because of what we did to our brother. Notice the impact that guilt is playing on their life. They're not even able to see what God is doing for them, what Joseph is doing for them. See, God wasn't bringing some curse upon them. God has a plan to restore them. God has a plan to bring reconciliation in their life with Joseph. God is doing something good, and they're thinking, oh, this is something horrible. They can't see the blessing for what it is. They see it as a punishment because of the guilt which they haven't dealt with. And this is another reason why we need to deal with our guilt properly. Because even when God is blessing us, which He does because He's gracious, not because we deserve it, but yet even though we don't deserve it, He's like, here, I'm going to give you this. Oh, this is not, you know, this is horrible. And we can't receive it for what it is. We don't see it as a blessing it is because we're not dealing with the guilt of the sin in our life. Well, these brothers continue to travel home. And I want you to think of what the rest of that journey must have been like. It would take several days to get from Egypt back to Canaan. And you know what? They had to be thinking about, how are we going to explain all this to Dad? How are we going to explain the fact that Simeon's not with us? How are we going to explain the fact that we not only have the grain, but all the, at least the money of the person who saw that they had money in their sack? How are we going to explain, first thing of all, we got to go back and we got to bring Benjamin with us. I'm sure that this is kind of going through their mind. What are we going to say to dad? How are we going to bring this to him? Well, let's see what they tell their father in verses 29 through 34. Then they went to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to them, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father, One is no more. The youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take the food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Notice here something that the brothers do, which is very important to note. They actually tell their father the truth about their missing brother. Remember the last time they had the opportunity to speak about a missing brother was back 20 years ago when Joseph's missing and they come with this lie that they've concocted of, oh, he was eaten and look at here, this isn't this the coat that you made him? Yeah, it's covered in blood. And so the last time they had an opportunity to speak about a missing brother, they lie. This time, speak the truth. It shows that God's been working on them. They're getting closer to being ready for the reconciliation that God wants to do in their life. And they tell their dad all that happens, the reason why Simeon's in jail, and hey, they thought we were spies, and we said, no, we're all just one man's sons, and and so now he's got to stay. 
in order to get him out of jail, we got to go back. And to prove our story, we got to bring Benjamin. Let's see how Jacob responds to that news. Verse 35. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Now this is interesting. On their journey, one brother opens the sack and he sees all his money there. And they start getting really afraid. Oh my goodness, God is cursing us. This is so horrible. And they don't have the sense to open up their other sacks and see if there's any other money. They just keep going. They finally get now to where they're going and they all open their sacks. And if they were afraid by one person having the money, imagine how afraid they are that nine of them all have the money that they should have left in Egypt to pay for this grain. And so now they're flipping out. They're even more afraid. And Jacob's watching this and he's seeing how scared they are. He's just heard the whole story of everything that happened. And notice how he responds. Jacob says, you have bereaved me. This is a very interesting word. The Hebrew word translated bereaved means to childless, to miscarry, to cause barrenness. So when Jacob says, you bereaved me, he is telling his sons, you've taken away my child. Now this is very interesting because, you know what, Jacob realizes you've taken away Simeon from me just now. But this would have really hit the heart of these brothers because what Jacob doesn't know is that this is a perfect explanation of what they have done to Joseph as well. They bereaved him. They took Joseph away. He doesn't know it, but they did it. He now blames them for Simeon, which, you know, you can understand that. And so he throws this out, and then he says something else. Joseph's no more. Simeon's no more. You want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Notice his reaction here. Because his reaction isn't true. Nothing of what he says is true. He feels like it's true in the midst of all that's going on. Joseph's no more. You can understand why he thought that, because he was lied to, but it's actually not true. Joseph's now doing great in Egypt. Simeon's no more. Well, they didn't even say Simeon was no more. They just said Simeon's in prison. But he has no intention of going back to get him, so maybe that's why he's thinking Simeon's no more. And then he goes on to say, and you want to take Benjamin, which he wasn't pleased about. And he throws out this statement, all these things are against me. Everything is working against me. But the reality is, actually, everything's working out for him. God is moving. God is working. And as Joseph looks and thinks, everything is against me, actually, if he'll just wait a little bit more, he's going to realize his son's alive. He's going to realize the plan that God has been working out. He's going to see, wow, everything is for me. God has been doing so much. But yet all he sees right now is what's coming in front of him. And he just responds with, everything is against me. Have you ever been in that place? I know I have, where you thought, you know, everything's against me. All these things keep coming, they're bad, they're negative, and you just, man, nothing's working out. Everything's going wrong. Everything just seems to be against me in life. But when you're in that place, a great verse to remember is Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? And as you think of the things that come against you, you think of the, the people, the situations, or the circumstances, remember the truth. Well, God is for me. 
And if God is for me, then, then who or what can ultimately be against me because there's nothing, no situation, no person that is greater than him that can come against me if he is for me. And as we've looked at several times through the life of Joseph, we realize God is working things together for good, as we've noted Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Joseph's life's a perfect example of this verse. We saw him in the pits. We saw him in Potiphar's house. We see him in prison. We think, how in the world is God working good? But now we're seeing the good. Now he's risen in prominence to second in command to Pharaoh. Now he's protecting not only the Egyptians, but the whole world from a famine. The third thing I want you to take note of that we see from what Jacob ultimately doesn't do is when you think everything is against you, remember God is for you and is working all things together for good. You know, I want to take you through what we've seen here in Joseph's life and realize, you know what, the plan of God is so much bigger, probably bigger even than Joseph ever knew, bigger than even Jacob ever knew, even after seeing what God was doing, because it wasn't just, wow, Joseph's still alive, how wonderful that God has protected him. Well, Joseph's risen in prominence, and he's been used by God to save our family from starvation. That's awesome. Oh, actually, even bigger than that, Joseph didn't just save our family. The whole world now has food so that people can survive this famine. And so God has been using Joseph to protect the world from death. But it's actually even bigger than that. It would impact every person in all of history. You know, if Joseph's family wasn't messed up, if there wasn't the favoritism from Jacob, if there wasn't the jealousy and anger from his brothers, his brothers would have never sold him as a slave. If Joseph's brothers never sold him as a slave, then he would have never gone to Egypt. If he never went to Egypt, he would have never been sold as a slave to Potiphar. If he was never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife would have never falsely accused him of rape. If he was never falsely accused of rape, he wouldn't have been thrown into the prison that he was thrown into. And if he wasn't thrown into that prison, he would have never met Pharaoh's butler and baker, and he would have never been able to interpret their dreams. And if he never interpreted their dreams, then they wouldn't have remembered him and told about Pharaoh to him so he could come to Pharaoh and interpret Pharaoh's dream. And if he didn't interpret Pharaoh's dream, then he would have never become second in command to Egypt. And if he never became second command, he couldn't wisely be in charge of making sure they save grain to protect people in those seven years of famine. And if he didn't do that, then everybody would have died of starvation, including Joseph's family. And if Joseph's family died, guess what? There would have been no Messiah, because the Messiah had to come through his family. And if there was no Messiah, then there's no Jesus. There's no Jesus, then our sins aren't forgiven because he hasn't come and died on the cross for them. And so we see the plan is much bigger. It was bigger because God was protecting the group of people that ultimately he was going to bring the Messiah through. And he used Joseph and this whole plan to bring it all to pass. God had something good that maybe even to the day they die didn't fully grasp how good and how big it was. But we need to remember as we are faced like Jacob is with all these things that seem to be so negative and bad and nothing's working out right for me to trust. God is for me. God does good things and works these things together for good. And even though I don't see it, 
Even though it think, looks like everything's against me, even though I don't see the good, I'm going to believe the truth of God's word. Well, the brothers know they must bring Benjamin back with them to Egypt. And so Reuben, the oldest, is going to try to convince his dad to let that happen because he knows dad doesn't want to do it. So notice what Reuben says. And it once again shows a change in the heart of Reuben. Then Reuben spoke to his father saying, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. So Reuben wants to convince dad, we got to go get Simeon. We got to go back. There's only one way we can go back. That's if we do what this leader in Egypt says. We got to prove that we're not spies. And the only way that's going to happen is if Benjamin comes. So dad, let Benjamin come with me. I will take responsibility for him. If something happens to Benjamin, you can kill my two sons. That's the severity of what Reuben's saying. Hey, I already let Joseph go, and I'm sure there's huge guilt in Reuben because he's the one guy of all the brothers who didn't want this to happen to Joseph. He's the one guy who wasn't willing to stand up to his brothers but had that secret plan that, hey, let's just throw him in a pit, and we'll deal with this later. And he's thinking, I'm going to come later. I'm going to rescue him out. I'm going to take him to dad. I got the plan. I'm going to help my brother not have to suffer the wrath of the other brothers. But he wasn't willing to stand up to his brothers, and he's too late. He comes back to the pit. Joseph's gone. He's already sold as a slave. And he's been guilt-ridden for 20 years of why didn't I actually just stand up? Why didn't I say, no, we're not doing this? Now my brother's gone. So now he has another opportunity, an opportunity this time to protect Benjamin. And he's so serious about it. He says, you know what? If I can't do this, you can kill my sons. You know, the logic of that doesn't really make much sense of like, this is not going to comfort Jacob that he loses a son and then kills his grandsons. But He's just bringing out the reality of, hey, this is so important to me that you could take my kids away from me if I don't protect yours. And he's wanting to convince Jacob, please, let me take Benjamin. I will watch out for him. I will give my life and even the lives of my sons for this. But it does not sway his dad. Jacob says, my son shall not go down with you for his brother's dead, and he's left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Jacob still isn't shying away from the fact of who his favorites are. I've already lost my favorite, and I'm not about to lose my second favorite. If something were to happen to Benjamin, it would ultimately kill me. It would bring my gray hair to the grave as a statement of that would just bring upon my death. So there's no way I'm allowing you to take my favorite son, (laughs) anywhere. I already lost one. I'm not going to lose this one. Unfortunately, Jacob doesn't realize that God is for him, that God has a wonderful plan of good that he's working out there with Joseph in Egypt, about to bring it all to fruition. God's going to work his plan out. God's going to get Benjamin to Egypt. Whether Jacob wants it or not, he's going to bring things to pass where Jacob's going to be forced to have to do it or everyone's going to die if he doesn't. And then he's going to start to see the wonderful plan of God unfold. So in this chapter, we see three main things in Jacob and in these ten sons that are his oldest son. First, unconfessed sin causes guilt which can cripple your life. 
But once you've confessed your sin, once you've dealt with it properly, release it. Don't let the guilt be held on to. Don't let it continue to cripple your life. When you deal with it properly, the Lord doesn't want it to continue to do that to you. And when you think everything is against you, remember God is for you and he's working all things together for good. So we kind of leave the story with this cliffhanger of what's going to happen next chapter. We're going to see things start to come together and the bigger plan of God be seen. But any thoughts on what we looked at tonight, on what we see with Jacob's sons, what we see with Jacob himself?